That'll preach, brother. All I kept thinking of, I have an entire series uh, on faith like that. And, and, it, and it, that particular series came about because without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? And that what scripture says? Let's just examine last week in our lives. How much, how many days did you get up and your day require faith? Or could you have done it all in your power? Most of my days. That's why I say, the other night it confused some people because I saw them go, like St. Bernard's, just their heads turned. When I said, I want to live terrified. I want to live how many days of mine are going to burn before the Lord because they required no faith? I want to wake up tomorrow and go, God, I want to, I want to live this much higher than my ability. And that ain't very high because <laughs> I'm stupid on my best day. But that, I want to live a life of faith. And, and the church needs to wake up and live a life of faith. Um, this, is, this has been my prayer this, this past six months of my life. Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. How many of you have ever prayed, restore to me the joy of my salvation? Restore to me the joy of my salvation. You know when you pray that, script, that statement, you're praying scripture totally wrong? Isn't that wonderful? We've twisted scripture. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. It's not what that scripture just said. It said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. You're never going to get the moment of your salvation back, by the way. The moment you were saved and how exciting that may have been and all that kind of stuff. We're wanting that back. Well, I've been through a whole lot of stuff since then. I'm not going to get the joy of my salvation. God wants me to say, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation, of seeing your salvation on the... Hello? Yeah. Was that the battery? I don't know. It... Oh, is it coming undone? Okay, because I was... Uh, is it just... Okay, what do I... am I doing? I'm squeezing, I'm pushing. It... Okay, we're feeling better about life. Okay. I thought I had Tourette's suddenly. Sorry. Um... But yeah, I don't want to. I want to see the joy of His salvation on the planet the same way I saw my salvation. I want to get so pumped about seeing others saved. Do you see what I mean? I want to see His salvation spread through the world. You know, something happened just just about I guess an hour ago. Um, I I do not have children because the Lord did not want me to breed. Apparently, <laughs> He was like. This stops with you. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I didn't, I've never been married, and I love my single life. And by the way, if you're single, singleness is not a sickness, even though the church teaches it that way. Subliminally. You know, if you get fixed, you get married, right? If singleness was a sickness, I could call in single to work every day. <laughs> Sorry, I'm single again, so I can't come to work. You know, sorry. But I've been single my whole life, so I don't have any children. I used to take my mom off so bad because I lived in the world for a long time and before she passed away, she'd say, well, you know, I only have one grandchild. I would say, you don't know that, mom. 
just look around Lake County, Florida. They probably run in the Orange Julius or something. That's about all they could, that's the level they would be. Anyway, I'm just kidding. She didn't like that at all. She didn't. But because of that, my sister only had one child after seven surgeries between the two of them. The million dollar baby. Well, about an hour, about an hour, maybe an hour and a half ago, I am a great uncle. He had the prettiest child, and I can't believe he did, because he ain't pretty. But she's gorgeous. And he's got money, so that's why he got the gorgeous girl. That's what I tell him all the time. Made a beautiful child. Okay? But another thing happened tonight. is happening right now as we speak, and I actually showed my brother a picture of it. Right now, in this very moment in Haiti, we're doing a rice distribution, a food distribution to three villages. Because the pastor called me. We've been doing it every single month during the pandemic. I can't be there, but I can get money there through Western Union to one man who was able to get it to a pastor. And every month the money has come in. $5,000 a month has come in every single month since the pandemic started for us to be able to feed these three villages in Haiti. Food distribution. But this month was going to be an issue. It was really going to be an issue. People had just, you know, out of sight, out of mind. People, we stopped going to Haiti. Teams stopped coming into Haiti. I stopped traveling. And out of sight, out of mind, it's very difficult for us to raise the money that we were. And this month, I was like, Lord, what's going to happen? And he called me the other day. The pastor called me the other day and said, Pastor, the people are eating mud cakes again. That means that they're taking that silt on top of the mud and they, they take it and they add a little oil to it if, if they've got it to add some calories and they bake it in the sun and, and then they eat it because it makes their stomachs feel better and they get a little bit of calories. That's where they are again. In hey, Two hours from Miami by flight, people. We're not talking about a million miles away. And so I, I can't stand that that exists. So I was like, God, you got to come through, please. And so I honestly just went to the bank account just the other day, just actually, I guess it was Friday, and there was a $10,000 check in there. I, don't, I, I did not even get to find out who sent it. <laughs> there was a $10,000 donation. That's two months, people. <laughs> and I went, okay, God, we'll send it. That's going on as we speak right now. The rice is being delivered. It's, they're going out. He just sent me a video. I wish I could put it up on the screen because that's the coolest thing in the world. And people were standing there with the bags on their heads. And they're like, thank you, Adore to Hope. <laughs> and they don't say it right. They say, Adore to Hope because they don't even know what the word hope is. But anyway, it's just the coolest thing to watch. That's faith. That's the kind of faith I want to live in. I want to see salvation because that church in Haiti is busting out the seams because of that. And we got to build a church now there because we have a church, but it's made out of tin. And every time it rains and it, the winds blow, they have to go find their walls down the mountain and bring them back for church. Imagine doing that every Sunday. You think you got to set up Sunday school chairs? <laughs> they got to find their walls. So we got to build a church there. That's next. But that's the kind. Of, I want to live a life terrified. I mean, that's a huge task. Right now, our little ministry, A Door to Hope, I don't have a QR code for that. I, I actually had one. I forgot to bring it, actually. Adoortohope.com if you want to look at what we do. Adoortohope.com. But I, I'm, I'm looking at what we're doing. We're building a school in Haiti, in the Dominican Republic for Haitian kids who only graduate fifth grade, and there is no high school within miles and miles and miles, so they never go. They graduate fifth grade and that's it, which means they're relegated to cut the cane for the rest of their lives. 
in, in the Dominican. Haitians are treated like second-class citizens there. And in, in Haiti, we got to build a church. Well, guess what? A piece of wood that was $10 is now 60 in Haiti. We can't build the church right now, but we're going to raise the money for it. God's going to come through. I just know he is. I know, oh, there it is. Look at that. Wow, you're good. <laughs> now, on, on there, it connects you to BrentGambrell.com, which is mine, and you can actually pick up the book there. Okay? It's so soft. You should feel it. <laughs> but... I've been praying, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Have you ever said, oh, God, I want to be on fire for you again? Anybody? Come on. Have you really? Last night? God, I just want to be on fire for I want to see on church catch on fire again. I want to see. Be careful what you pray. You might get it. You might. And my dad said, don't mess with fire. He, he used to say you'd wet the bed. He lied to me. I played with fire behind his back all the time. That never happened. But I, so I, I prayed that one night. I was like, oh, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. I won't be on fire for you. And the Lord wouldn't be careful what you pray. Look it up. I did. There's lots of uses for fire in the scripture, but none of them what you think they are. In Genesis, God's presence is a, is a fire. The pillar of fire, the pillar, the, the burning bush, right? The word of God is called a fire in Jeremiah 5.14. Lust is called a fire in Proverbs 6. <laughs> oh, let me be on fire. <laughs> no, it's not what it means. Wickedness is called a fire in Isaiah 9. The tongue is called a fire in Proverbs 16. But in the New Testament, it changes and the Holy Spirit is called a fire. In Matthew 3, John says, I'll baptize you with water. But there's a guy coming after me. I can't even tie his shoes. And he's going to baptize you with fire. And the Holy Spirit. The next chapter 2 happens. Uh-oh. We're in a Methodist church talking about Acts chapter 2. Be careful. <laughs> Be careful. He's going to start saying, Shandala, kandala, see my botata, my botata. My father built a helicopter, your father built a helicopter. I know how to do it. I teach in those churches too. Anyway, just kidding. I'm kidding. Wow, people are like, oh, he's going to go there. You know why people get so fried about Pentecost? Because we focus so much on what happened, we don't focus on why it happened. Why did, why did it happen? Fire landed on the men and women in that room. Fire landed on them. But their clothes weren't singed. Weird kind of fire. Same fire that you see in the burning bush. It burns, but it doesn't burn what it's burning. But why did that happen? Not what happened, but why? All we got to do is look at it. In, Luke, uh, in, in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, hey guys, stay in the city till power comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses. He again says it in Luke 24, 25-49. He says, stay in the city until fire comes on you, till power comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses. Is the Holy Spirit's fire still appropriate today? Does it still happen today? Yes, as long as evangelism is necessary on the planet, the Holy Spirit will be available to us for it. That's just it. That's what it was for. He's the comforter, but he's also, he, helped, he is the one that empowers you to proclaim the word. But that's not the most predominant use of fire I see in Scripture. The most predominant use of fire I see in Scripture is the destructive fire of God. Right? Fire is incredibly destructive. Anybody ever been through a fire before? 
Okay, I, and fire, it, I, I lived in Florida. I'm used to hurricanes and tornadoes. Okay, those are, and they're destructive. I mean, they'll tear things. But if you think about it, everything's still there. It's just moved around a lot, right? With fire, it's gone. I have a friend of mine, her name is Frances Robinson. She had a, um, she had a, a flower uh, like silk flowers, you don't have any in the church here. Silk flowers, you know, that you see at weddings and stuff, she rented those out. Her entire bottom floor of her house, which stretched the entire length of her house, was nothing but a warehouse of silk flowers, which apparently are very flammable. <laughs> Who knew? Because they went out to dinner one night, came around into the cul de sac, and there were lots of fire trucks, and their three story home was gone to the ground. Nothing. 29 years of marriage, gone, nothing. The only thing that survived was one closet they had fireproofed, praise God, and it had all the baby pictures in it. All the ladies were going, thank you, Jesus. And the only other thing that survived was an urn with grandma's ashes in it. I said, was it okay? She said, she lost a little weight, but other than that, she's fine. So, I mean, fire just destroys but have you ever noticed something else about fire? It's not permanent. Have you ever been to a field or a forest that was burned years and years ago? What does it look like now? Greener than it was before. Why? Because ashes are good for the soil. And ashes are good for your soul too sometimes. You know, God will let you burn out sometimes. Why? Because sometimes we need to come to the end of ourselves. We're going to get there. Now watch. But... <clears throat> What does he usually destroy with this destructive fire in Scripture? Well, think about it. Sodom and Gomorrah. Do, do you think somebody in Sodom and Gomorrah woke up that morning and went, Oh, God, I want to be on fire. Okay. <laughs> Korah's rebellion. Moses comes down. You rebel. <laughs> wipes him out. What does he destroy with fire? Wickedness. He destroys wickedness, unrighteousness. That's what he destroys with his destructive fire. And he still does that today. We're going to get there, I promise. But it's not permanent. Now, the most, the most predominant use of the destructive fire of God that I see in Scripture, I mean, I studied for a long time. I just love words. Is, is in Malachi chapter 3, 1 through 3, and I'm going to read it to you. Now, Malachi was the last prophet to speak in the Old Testament before hundreds of years of silence from God. It was going to be hundreds of years of silence before the New Testament. That blank page between Old and New Testament is hundreds of years, people. And God didn't speak. And so Malachi was going to prepare the people for what was going to come. He was the last major guy to say, hey, something's coming, but it's going to be a while. Hold on. And this is what he said in, Math, in, in Malachi chapter 3, 1 through 3. He says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. We believe that was John the Baptist. Then suddenly the, the Lord whom you are seeking will come into his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure in the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. The most predominant fire I see today in the life of a Christian is the refining fire of God. 
But we don't see that when we say, let me be on fire for you. Now, many of you have heard this, but I want to give you a different angle on it. See, when, when, when we dig gold and silver up out of the ground, it's not ready to go on your finger around your neck, right? It's got to go through a process. When we bring that ore up out of the ground, it's, it's got to go through a process. And I know what some of you are saying, oh, Brent, I know we're the ore and God refines us. What a cute little analogy. It's not my analogy. Get over it. <laughs> Jeremiah 6, 20. See the new people that didn't show up? They're like, is he that rude? I really am. <laughs> Jeremiah 6, 27 says this. I have made you a tester of metals, God's speaking through Jeremiah. I have made you a tester of metals, and my people are the ore. It was his analogy, not mine. That you may know and test their ways. It says they're all hardened rebels going about to slander. They're all bronze and iron. What does that mean? Go study it. And all of them act corruptly. Then it says something weird. It says the bellows blow fiercely to burn away the lead with fire. But the refining goes on in vain, for the wicked are not purged out. The bellows blow fiercely, burn away the lead with fire. I was like, what? My dad used to say, son, get the lead out. I had no idea he was being biblical. But what does that mean? I had no fat clue. I really didn't. I'm led through my questions in the scripture, not my answers. I really am. I keep post-it notes in my Bible. And every time I run across something I don't understand, which used to rock my faith, every time I saw something, I don't understand what that means. It's probably not all true. You ever been there? Where every question rocks your faith? Now all that does is tell me I've got another adventure to go on. And so my, my Bible is full of post-it notes. This one was, okay, he's talking about me burning away the lead with fire that he's refining me. So I needed to know what that meant. So I went, praise God, to the internet. The internet's a horrible thing and can kill you and can really help you. It's like a car. So I went and I, I went to a metallurgy site. And everything preaches Jesus. Everything preaches. I was talking to four guys in the back of the room last night. Where are you? I'm going to go ahead and tell that story again because it kind of just happened. Everything will preach Jesus if you'll share it. Because the earth declares the glory of the Lord. If you stare at a tree long enough, it'll preach Jesus. Now, I have said that little line for years, but I got a phone call from a buddy of mine. He had a 15-year-old son. His 15-year-old son is dyslexic to the point where he cannot read at all. There's no, so he's a no-hoper, right? God can't speak to him, right? Or is my God bigger than that? So three of his best friends died in one month. Two died in a car wreck, one died of cancer. That's pretty devastating for a 15-year-old boy. So my buddy was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. My, my son, I can't give him scriptures to read. I can't, you know what I mean? He may not be listening to me right now. And so he prayed and prayed. And the Lord told him to take his son out into the apple orchards and trim the trees with him. And he would speak to him there. Now, that's a man walking in faith to hear that. <laughs> but he did. He said, I just suddenly, I was like, I've got to bring my son to the apple orchards with me to trim the trees there in Washington State. So he, he takes him there. He said, son, go out here and go, go trim the trees over there. God's going to speak to you. He told me he, he would. <laughs> He's going to speak to you. And he said, okay, dad. And so he goes off. He comes back about 20, 30 minutes later, bawling his eyes out. And he had two branches in his hand. One of the branches was green, 
And one of the branches was brown. They had cut it last year and it fell in some bushes and they didn't rake it up. It was brown and dead. He said, look, Dad, look. He's just bawling. His dad said, okay. <laughs> What's God saying to you? He said, watch, Dad, watch. He took the brown branch and he broke it. He took the green branch and he tied it in a knot and then he untied it. And he said, what is God saying, son? He said, Dad, what God said to me so clearly was that what breaks the world will only bend me because I'm grafted in the vine and the vine's life flows through me. Do you think a 15-year-old made that up? They don't even know how to tie their shoes. God spoke to that boy through a tree. Don't you tell me the earth doesn't declare the glory of the Lord all the time. So when I went to the metallurgy site, I went, God, you're going to speak to me apparently through metallurgy. <laughs> okay. And so this is what I found. The first thing I found out is that do you know we haven't changed the way we refine gold and silver in 3,000 years? Nothing has changed. Actually, one little thing has changed. We use gases now that are hotter than what they used to be able to do. But the method hasn't changed. So that made me go, okay, if the method hasn't changed, then I can look at the method and there's something in there God wants to tell me because he's talking about refining gold and silver. And so I said, okay, I want to look at it, Lord. I want to look at it. Now, this is the, re the process of refining gold and silver. Go ahead. Go ahead. The first thing that happens is this. We mine it up out of the ground. We dig it up, right? Duh. But sometimes it's, it's, it's not all the land is, is the same. Sometimes it's in really hard soil, hard rock even, and sometimes it's in soft soil. I grew up in Florida, right, right next to the mouse. In Florida, we have, we have a mouse, we have orange trees, we have a beach, and we have sand everywhere. Now, but because I lived in Florida, if I wanted to go build, dig a hole, what would I do? I'd go to the garage and get a what? A shovel. And I'd dig a hole. Then I moved to Tennessee. Now, I, my father had, we had a St. Augustine lawn. It was always this tall, and it looked vacuumed. It was perfect always, pristine. My father was one of those people. So when I moved to Tennessee, I bought a house, and I went, okay, I want a beautiful lawn like Dad's. And so I got my lawnmower, and I got on my lawnmower, and I put it down to a, like a two, and, and I took off. I knew I had done something wrong because the old man across the street sitting on his front porch, I saw him mouth the words, Florida cracker. <laughs> I saw it on his lips. I'm going, I don't know what he's talking about. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, my, I mean, my tractor stopped. My blade shattered. I was like, what's going on? So I lifted it up. There was a rock sticking up out the ground. I thought, who put that there? It was the first thought. So what did I do? I went to what? I went to the garage to get a what? A shovel. I'm going to find the edge of it, pry it up and get it out. So I stopped. My whole yard is one rock. Just this much dirt on top. That's the tip of the iceberg, baby. That was it. In fact, my next door neighbor woke me up at like 6 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Massive explosion. I came out my front door. I was like, what are you doing? He said, we're building a pool. I said, you blew up my fence. They're shrapnel. You killed a cat. I'm okay with that. But you killed a cat. 
sometimes, all I'm trying to say is sometimes it's in soft sand, sometimes it's in hard sand. Took me a long time to get there. Now, after we mine it up out of the ground, the next thing we do, it's not just ready to go on your finger. Next thing happens is this. Go ahead. We wash it. We wash it. We're going to skip, we're going to keep the last one there. We wash it. Why? Because it's dirty, duh. You got to wash it. Get all the X, just get all the dirt off of it that you can see. Now it's ready to go on your finger, right? No. The next thing we do is we heat it up. Now, like I said, that was the thing that has changed because they used to not be able to heat it up as hot as we can get it now. We have gases that they didn't have. They use these things called bellows that blow air on the fire to make it hotter. So they would heat it up. Why do we heat it up? We heat it up to get it into a liquid state. Turn that, that, that solid into a liquid. Why? Because inside all that gold or silver is trash, is dirt that, that was stuck in there. Until you get in a liquid state and you get it so hot that, it, that the trash burns at the top and turns into ash and you can scrape it off, right? So now we've, we've, we've heated it up. Now you've scraped off all the, all the, the crud. They call that crud dross or slag. That's the crud that floats to the top. After you heat it up, you, you, you scrape off the obvious dross or slag. Now it's ready. No. Because there are impurities, other metals, things like that in the gold or silver that we don't see that make it impure. So the first thing they do, go ahead is we add an alkali. An alkali is a base, base substance. We're gonna, not going to get into the chemistry of it, but it boils things up. Anybody know what peroxide is? You ever had your mom put peroxide on a, on a cut and it goes Now, I lived in Florida. We had warm lakes. Mom used to boil our ears out. Anybody ever have that joy? Anybody ever have that joy? That is not joyful. You turn, hit, she pours it in there. If you've seen it, Bubba, you should hear it. It goes you can't, mom's like, is it working? I have no idea. It boils up all the crud. Well, they add this alkali to boil up all the crud. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. Then they scrape off the dross or slag, all the stuff that floats up, but it's still not pure because there's still other metals, other trash in there, especially the trace metals that you can't even see. You'd never know. But the metallurgist does. So then they do what? They add lead. Wait. The scripture said, and he, the bellows blow fiercely to burn away the lead with fire. I was like, uh-uh, you're kidding. This metallurgy site was preaching Jesus to me right there. I went, okay. Burn, I just thought lead was in everything. No, they add the lead in the process. To do what? Lead acts like a magnet to attract all the other metals to it. And then it goes to the bottom, burns, floats to the top as ash, and they scrape it off again. That's the process. Every time you go through the process, that's one more what we call carat. 24 carat gold, 16 karat gold means it's gone through the process 16 times. 24 times. How many just learned something in church? Praise the Lord. It wasn't a complete loss. 
but then it's done, right? Now we're ready. No, you got to scrape the, go ahead, scrape the dross or slag off. But then it goes through another process. And what is that? Go ahead, molding or hammering it into what we want it to be, right? And then it's ready. Ladies and gentlemen, you're looking at the process of the growth of a Christian. Exactly. Everything preaches Jesus. What do I mean? Watch. Go ahead. First thing that happens is what? Go ahead. He minds us up. I love this. Watch. Psalm 40, David says, and he's taken me from the miry clay. He took David from the miry clay. Well, you know what? That's pretty easy. For David, it'd be hard to get out of, but for God to pull you out of clay is not a big deal. That's the soft heart. Why? David had a man after, he was a man after God's own heart. He was a soft heart. So when, God, when he fell, God would just pull him out. Some of us have a different testimony. Anybody? Some of us have the explosion testimony of our salvation. Anybody? Now, some of you were saved. You've been in church nine months before you were born. You know, you were. And you came to Christ in a process where you learned and then you found Christ and you accepted him as your Savior. He became your Savior. You began to walk with him. That's, that's so many of us in the church. It really is. But some of us, it was a little later in life. The heart had become hard and something had to explode us. Anyone? I see one. Anybody else going to admit? No? I'm can I tell you what? There's only a couple of you that raised your hand. Can, can I ask you this then? Why does the church always put the explosion testimonies up in front as the heroes? Why? I can't tell you the amount of people because that was me. I was, you know, off the deep end until, and I won't even go into my testimony because there are little kids here. But I, I was a bad dude for a long time, but it took an explosion to get me out of it. Why do we put us up in front? Why? When the average Christian came through a process of finding Christ because their parents or their culture brought them there. People, I can't tell you the people come and say, I just don't have a testimony. Really? You were raised in church by godly parents who brought you to Christ at a young age. You came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, which thwarted half the things that I went through that I still have horrible memories about in my life and temptations you won't ever know about. You are a testimony. You are a poster child for the fact that Christianity works. You have a testimony. And the Bible says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Use it. The, you know what the world's not asking today? They were asking in my day, is it true? Is the Bible true? That's what we were finding. And we would debate people and show them the creation and evolution. You remember all that? Older people, that's, that's what we went through. You know what they're asking now? They're not asking, is it true? They're saying, does it work? Does Christianity work? You are the testimony we need in the world today. You prove that Christianity works. Why aren't the statistics out there that Christian marriages last longer than non-Christian marriages? Why isn't that out there? Yet that is true. When both, when both the couple follow Christ, I'm telling you, we have a higher statistic than the world does. Why isn't that out there? It's crazy. You, I'm just, that's just a gripe of mine. Let me get back to the message. Now, <laughs> some of us were exploded. Some of us came out of soft sand. The next thing that happens is this. 
We are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Mm. The Old Testament, God set it up from the beginning of time, this whole blood thing. That's the one thing that used to freak a friend of mine out. I said, you people are the bloodiest people I have ever seen in my life. You guys talk about blood all the time. It's like you're a whole congregation of vampires or something. What is the deal? No, this was his, he did not come from the church. He had, he was like, and I don't understand the big posters that say, Jesus loves you. Okay. Didn't Buddha? He was like, can you be a little more specific? He really wanted to know. We just turned it into a slogan. I had to explain to him. I said, you know, see, at the very beginning of time, God set up a thing that said something had to die for your sin. Adam and Eve sinned, and God killed an animal and covered them. In fact, the blood of that, that animal, the Bible says it would atone for, which means to cover up. And every year on the Day of Atonement, the Israelites would have to bring a lamb, or if they were poor, two turtle doves, to a priest, and the priest would go, huh, okay, they'd test it for three days, and then they would slaughter it, pour the blood on the altar for that family, and say, God, that this would atone for, cover up their sin, until one day a Messiah will come, and he will be the Lamb of God. He won't cover our sins, he'll take them away. That's why John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's why they killed John the Baptist. He was saying, uh-uh, that's the Messiah. Do you see it? That's why when we say, Father, put your blood in my account, pay for my sin, and I give you my life in return. That's, that's salvation. Salvation is saying, Jesus, I've sinned. I know it. I've blown it. And I ask you, there's no other way to pay for my sin but blood. That's the only currency you take <laughs> is the blood of the lamb. So we ask, Father, Jesus, would you put your blood in my account, pay for my sin, and I give you my life in return. That's the transaction of salvation. When I explained it to him, he went, oh, I get it. I want that. <laughs> How hard was that? But we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. Please understand, it doesn't cover your sin. It washes it away. Then why are you going before the Lord constantly, bringing up that sin that he already forgot, <laughs> that he already washed away? You're denying the power of his blood when you do that. At your salvation, you got all the forgiveness you're ever going to get. He washed it away. Man, that's a freeing thing we can offer the world. He washed our sins away. You know, I love people that are just freshly washed but aren't refined. I love those people in the church because they freak all you church people out. I love it. I was teaching a, 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 I was teaching a church just like this. <laughs> I, I want to say it was in California, which is even freakier. But, but I mean, it was a pretty big church. <laughs> and we finished. And you know there's rednecks in California? It's so weird. All of a sudden, at the end of the service, amen, amen, and the service was over. And I walked down front with the pastor, and all of a sudden, down the center aisle, we heard ching, ching, ching. It was big belly, the black vest, Harley on the back, the beard. It was like 
kind of Bigfoot and Charlie Daniels was walking out. You know what I'm talking about? It was that guy had the chain going to his wallet. You know that guy? You know what I'm talking about? You've seen him. Ching, ching, coming down the aisle, baby. The pastor actually had already walked over there. He saw him coming. It wasn't a Pentecostal church, but that boy was jumping the pews to get to me, that pastor. Because he got down, and he didn't make it in time, because the guy got to me and shook my hands. <laughs> well, Brother Brent, I'll tell you what, that was the best blankety-blank message I have blankety heard in my blankety life. And he didn't say blankety. It was a Baptist church, and the WMU and the RAs and the GAs and the Brotherhood ladies in the back just sucked the wallpaper off the walls. It was great. It was just collective. <laughs> the pastor got to me at that moment and said, um, Brent, this is Frank, and he just became a Christian. I said, shocker. <laughs> you, know what I, you know what I love about those people? They don't know how to act. But please don't shoot the wounded when they come in. Please give them the grace to grow. See, because I came from the world. I did. I can't, when I was 22, I'm going to say it. When I was 19, I owned a stripper service across the state of Florida. Don't explain that to your children. I'm not going to say any further. That's the lifestyle I led. $700 in alcohol every single month. And that's not hard when you do only the very best. That's who I was. Drugs get in the morning. Drugs go to sleep at night. I've been washed in the blood of the lamb and cleaned. But when I got into this, I went to this church, it was wonderful. And they, they accepted me and they loved me and they took me in. And my pastor said, Brent, I sense God's calling in your life. And I said, you don't know what you're talking about. And he said, well, tell me what you've done. I said, you don't know what I've done. He said, tell me. So an hour later, he was bawling. He was like, it must have been so horrible. I said, no, it was a lot of fun. You've never been out there, have you? Sin is fun. Jumping off a roof is fun. It's the rocks at the bottom that hurt. But the fall is fun. And so I came and they, they grew me. But you know, at my ordination, see, in, in, in the Baptist church, they, ordin, they ordain you, the church ordained me, not the denomination. And so it was the same church years later that ordained me into the ministry. And at my ordination, people stand in the congregation and they speak about you. And this wonderful woman stood up, and she's genteel, wonderful, wonderful lady. I was there at her husband's death. I stayed at her house and helped her go through all the bills and everything. We just, she was this sweet little senior adult lady. And she stood, and she said, Brent. And I went, she said, you know, when you first came to this church, nobody liked you. <laughs> this was at my ordination. It was more of a roast than... I just, I just went, <clears throat> she said, you were headstrong and you were so obnoxious, and, but we knew you would grow. And look, you still need to. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? That's the grace to grow. Don't shoot the wounded. You know, if revival comes to this church, if resurgence comes to this church, it's going to mess with some of you. When true revival hits the church, and I've seen it, I've seen it happen. Very few times in my ministry have I seen it, but I've been in a church before, and we ended up going nine nights because God just wouldn't stop moving. And people just started coming. They started inviting their friends and stuff. But you know what happened? People started freaking out. You know why? Because the sick and the hurt had started hearing that things were happening.
that people were loving people for no apparent reason. You know, just like God loves you for no good reason. <laughs> they started loving everybody out there for no good reason. And people started coming. And many people didn't have, they didn't have jobs. They didn't have cars. So they had to start a bus ministry again <laughs> to go get people. You can get a bus ministry going in, in most churches today to save your life. You know what, that's, I came to church as a child in a bus ministry. But they started having to go get people. They started having to bring people. People didn't know how to act. The kids were messing up the carpet. Heaven forbid, it was a horrible mess. Oh, what a glorious mess. And that church is still there and growing. Because they just went, you know what? Just come. Just come. God will deal with your sin. We love you for no good reason. We're washed in the blood. But then you know what happens? Go ahead. God heats things up. No, he doesn't. God doesn't heat things up. God never gives you more than you can bear. Right? When I said that, amen, people go, amen. No, ladies and gentlemen, you have twisted scripture. That, the Bible says he will never allow you to be tempted more than you can bear. He will always give you more than you can bear. Why? Uh-huh. You know, God was thinking he would make an angel one day. That angel stood before him. God went, boom, angel was standing there. That angel went, I am hot. Look at me. I am so beautiful. He looked at the other angel and said, did you see us? Wow. Then he said something tragic. He said, I haven't got to worship that guy. Then he said something even more ridiculous. He said, I've got glory. I have a two and a half hour study of the word glory. It goes from Exodus 3 2 to Revelation 22. It ties the entire Bible together. See, the word glory and the word presence of God is the same word. His glory is his presence. That angel was saying, I've got a presence. I can do things without God. The creation said that to the Creator. At that moment, I believe heaven became hell and God cast that angel down to the planet. His name? Lucifer. Well, help me. If you were standing in front of God right now, what would you notice about yourself that's different than an angel? You're made in God's image. How much more of a danger are you to try to steal the glory of God than an angel not made in his image? We try to steal his glory all the time. We actually think we've got it all together. You actually think you control your life. That's what's so funny. We do. We think we control our lives. And the only reason we exist is because of 10 inches of topsoil and the fact that it rains. But you've got it going on. Okay. Really. See what my God does because he loves you? He orchestrates things and allows things in your life. He orchestrates things and he allows things in your life to strip you of your glory. He allows things in your life to strip you of your glory, your kingdom, your power, your might, and your strength. Why? So you can gain his glory, his kingdom, his power, his might, and his strength. How will you ever know that Christ is your strength until you lose yours? Amen. How will you ever know that Christ is your joy until the joy of your circumstances go away and you accept Christ as your joy? Many of us have accepted Christ as our Savior in here, right? Do you know that's one of his over 600 names? Have you accepted all of Christ? See, until you accept Christ as your peace, you will go out in the world and look for peace in everywhere but where you need it. 
Once you accept Christ as your peace, if he strips you of your circumstances and you have no peace and you say, Father, I accept you as my peace, do you see it? Christianity isn't about doing. It's about accepting more and more of him and losing yourself in the process. And God allows things in your life to strip you of you. Best thing he can do is get rid of you. Do you see it? The next time you go through problems, say, Father, what are you doing to strip me of myself? My, my joy, my peace, my, I want to accept you as that. Go look it up. Just go through the names of God and say, have I accepted you as this? Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rama, Jehovah Tiskanu. Go through the names of God and say, God, don't do it as an intellectual ascent to God. I know more names than you. Go and say, How do I know you as this? Have I accepted you as my provider or do I still look to my paycheck? Do you see it? God will strip you of yourself. He permits what he could prevent for a purpose in your life. I got I to gotta hurry. I've already been past my time way over, but I, I'd leave tomorrow. Get over it. Listen. <laughs> then he does this. Go ahead. You're never going to have me back, but it's okay. I'm... Then he has the alkali. What's that? Those are the horrible, horrible, nasty things that boil up everything in you, and you didn't even think you were going to be able to get through it. Those acidic, horrible things that you never thought you'd get through. Anybody been through one? June... June 23rd of last year, I had moved my mother from Florida. She was with me for two and a half years, bought a house. I bought a house with a, a beautiful little uh, mother-in-law apartment in it. It was gorgeous. Everything, everything was going great. I brought her up because my sister had taken care of her, and she was getting married again, and we were so excited she was going to have a life. And I, was gonna, I said, Mom, it's, it's my turn. You're coming to be with me. And for two and a half years, we had a blast. And out of nowhere, one morning, she coughed four times. And it was a horror flick. And I held her in my arms for 45 seconds before she was gone. This happened a year ago. And I, it was the most horrendous moment of my life. And I've been through an earthquake in Haiti. But I'm holding her in my arms and she's gone on the, on the floor of the living room. And I thought, I, I know what sweating drops of blood means now. This is the most tense moment of my life. I, I can't stand this moment. I just... I almost went nuts. And then I said, but I've accepted you as my peace. And a peace that passes all understanding came over me before the ambulance ever got there. And I went, you prayed that you wouldn't go into a nursing home. <laughs> you prayed that you, would, that you would go in peace. 45 seconds as all that woman was in pain. She got what she wanted. We're going to have a talk when we get to heaven. I'm a little tech still. But a peace that passes all understanding. When they got there, they thought I was crazy because I was like, she's gone. She's gone. It's okay. And they tried to revive her for about an hour, even got her to the hospital. And it was, she's done. But since that moment, I've had this strange peace. That's called a peace that passes all understanding. I know I have a God, and I know he's, he's proved himself too many times for me to doubt him. Young people, if you, if you don't get anything, get that. Even at the most ascetic moments of your life, God is good. He is. But then you think you're pure after stuff like that. 
But there's stuff that nobody sees. Then he adds the lead. What's the lead? Have you ever had somebody in your life, students, let me talk to you. You got somebody in your life that your mom says, I don't like you hanging out with them. They bring the worst out in you. You ever had that? Dean Osmosky was his name. He was so much fun. Oh, he was so much fun. Uh, he was always on the verge of getting arrested. He was amazing. In high school, he, uh, I ran away from things that he got caught in all the time. But you know, at one point, my mother even had an issue of lead in her life. I started showing up at her house in Florida, and everything that she said was negative. She could say negative things about people she had never met. Well, I bet you that right here. You ever been in that little doldrum in your life, guys, where you just start getting negative? I finally looked and said, Mom, what is going on with you? And she said, oh, honey. She said, I just started hanging around with all these ladies, and we play bridge, and all they do is gossip, and they're just so negative, and it just made me that way. I said, Mom, can I just be honest? Circumstances don't change your life. They only reveal what was already in your heart in the first place. I said, do this. Scrape them off, and the sin will go with it. And she did. She had to move out of the state, but she did. <laughs> He had the lead. Had a girl in my church. I know I got to go. Had a girl in my church. She was, she had been with every guy. I'm just, I'm not being, I'm not going to go any farther, but I'm telling you, she, guy after guy after guy. And every time she'd show up in my office, they treat me horrible. <laughs> Mr. Compassion. I said, honey. I know the guy you're seeing right now. And I'm sorry, but do y'all even talk? Because what you do in public, I can't imagine what you do in private. I said, do you even have anything in common? Do you, what's going on with you? Why, why do you allow this in your life? I said, scrape him off. Look at him tomorrow and say, you are dross, you are, you are slag. I scrape you off. And he said, he, he won't get it. I said, I know, he's stupid too. She scraped him off. And the sin went with her. You see it? Well, then it's awesome. We go through the scraping part. By the way, that scraping part, if there are people in your life, if there's lead in your life, get it out. Because it'll get hotter. It'll get hotter till it, till, till it floats to the... But let me say this. When God heats something up, Anything that he reveals, he intends to heal. Anything that he boils up in your life, he intends to scrape it off. It's not there to hurt you. His plans are not to hurt you, but to give you a future and a hope. 